You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it is great to see you this morning. Mark chapter 2 is where you need to turn. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, if you need a Bible, underneath every three or four seats, you should be able to find one. So that would definitely be a help to you. So if you can get one in front of you or in front of a person near you, um, I think that would serve you this morning. So um, let, me, let me start out with this question. If you were going to throw out a word that in broad strokes describes our culture, what kind of words would you think of to, to in broad strokes describe it? So I think there are a few that would, would be really fitting, but I don't know if any is more fitting than this word, busy. Busy. That that is a constant refrain in our culture. Running from this to that, doing that, getting this done, this little checklist, all these things going. That the constant refrain, I ran into a guy yesterday. How are you doing? The first thing he says is, I'm so busy. It's just normal. So busy. Listen to Wayne Mueller in his book, Sabbath, Restoring the Sacred Rhythm of Rest. Sabbath, restoring the sacred rhythm of rest. Listen to what he says about this idea of busyness in our culture. He says, I have visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain, and here it is. I am so busy. You ever said that? I am so busy. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. As their work all piles endlessly upon itself. Listen to this statement. See if this is you. The whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. Ever felt that? It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. Here it is again. I am so busy. I just wonder if that sounds like your life. I mean, culturally, this, this is life for, for, for our culture, right? Hey, we even, like, maybe you could think of it this way. Our problem with busyness goes deeper than we are busy. It's that we wear busyness like a badge of honor. It's like a litmus test to your worth in life. I I was listening to an interview here recently with Bill Gates, and he made the comment, and and I would say probably made it in a little bit of a, I'm going to beat my hand on my chest sort of a way, but he made the comment that during his 20s, he never took a day off of work. And we celebrate that. Like, that's a good thing. Like, being a workaholic is like, plaster that on the forehead, like, yes to that. Right? I mean, we, we, we celebrate that as a culture. And, and just maybe by the grace of God, God might enable us this morning to see with enough clarity to cut through the cultural fog and, and just enough clarity to see that busyness is one of the most dangerous things to our relationship with God. We'd have an ability to see that. It, it's interesting. The Chinese, you know, they use symbols to make words or to, to kind of form words. And their symbol... Their character for busyness is the combination of two different symbols. Now just listen to what these two symbols are that come together to make the word busy. It's one, one is the word heart, the symbol for that, and the other symbol is the word for killing. Heart killing equals the total Chinese symbol for busy. Now that is insightful one, that's common gracious coming to you, that would agree 110% with the Bible. That what busyness is, is it, business does not lead you to more and more life. Business leads you away from life. It, it literally murders your heart. That's what it's trying to say there. The business has a way of murdering your heart, of killing your heart, of shattering your soul. This is what busyness does to us. And, and the problem in our culture is it's so normal, it's almost impossible to detect. Even in this room, it's so normal. Everybody's so busy that that it feels normal to be that busy. And and to this culture that we live in, and to us in this room, this isn't just a cultural thing, this is also a Christian thing. So to our culture at large, and to Christians specifically, God has given this gracious and great gift called the Sabbath. The Sabbath. So I want to just take a morning to 
walk through some of these ideas that kind of circle around the Sabbath, kind of give you the, the nuts and bolts of this, just praying that God might bring this, this thing to life for you. That Sabbath would not just be like some sort of an ancient thing that people did back then, but it would be something that has life and breath for you like right now today in your life. So let's start with the origins, Sabbath origins. So this is going to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So if you want to go ahead and flip back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, the Sabbath starts there. This is where we see the context for the Sabbath, the Sabbath built. So in Genesis 1, if you read that in your English Bible, it's going to sound much more like a story to you with a plot and some characters and a story. It's going to sound, feel much more like a story. But if you were to read Genesis chapter 1 in Hebrew, the original language of it, you would get a sense of this is not story-like, this is poetry-like. That, that when you read Genesis 1 and 2, there is a cadence to it, a rhythm to it, there's this beat to it. This is Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the original language. It's poetry with this rhythm and this cadence. So, so you've got 10 times in Genesis 1 where God will say, or the Bible will say, then God said. That then he creates, and then he calls it good. It's this rhythm. Then he said, then he creates, and he calls it good. It's all this rhythm, this beat, this cadence. This is what you have in Genesis 1. Embedded into the fabric of creation, woven into that fabric, is this rhythm. So, so you've got, then he said, and he creates. Then you've got this night and day, second day. You, you've got seasons. You, you've got fall, going to winter, going to spring, going to summer. You, you've got this rhythm that's woven into the fabric of how God created the world to, to work. And this is what Genesis 1 is trying to show us, this rhythm, this beat, how God has created the world. He's showing us the way things are in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, you've got, it's important that you know this. You've got two ways that you can live your life. You can live your life in light of and in step with the way things are, the way God created them to be. Or you can live your life the way you think the, the world works, in step with the way you think it works. One, living in step with reality, the way God created it, leads to life. The other, living the way you think it works, leads to death. This is what Genesis 1 is trying to show us, that God has created the world, that there's this rhythm to it, and there's this invitation, there's this beat behind everything that you see, and it's always wooing, always inviting us in. Okay, now then you get to this really important moment in Genesis chapter 2 where God's about to show us something about this rhythm, about this, about this flow, about this cadence, about this beat. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, be on the screen for you if, if you don't have it in front of you. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And listen to what it says he did. And he, you might just underline circle, like whatever you have to do to see this word. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his, all of his work that he had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Just notice two things. One is that God rested on the seventh day, and then notice this, that in this text, in verse 3, God blessed that seventh day. God, God looked at the seventh day and he said, I am going to load that seventh day of rest. I am going to load that day with blessing." That, that day is packed full of, loaded with blessing. And for every person who befriends it, those blessings will break into your life in a million different ways. So what he's showing us here, that it's packed full, loaded with blessing. And for everyone who befriends that seventh day of rest, those blessings that that day is packed full of will break into your life. Now, okay, fast forward over to Exodus chapter 20. Just kind of flip to the right. You're going to get to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. This is where God is about to give 10 commandments, 10, 10 rules for the people of Israel, his people to live by. Now, let me just frame really quickly these 10 commandments that God's about to give here, because this is going to get right at the heart of a major misconception that people have when it comes to Christianity and God. A lot of people view Christianity and or God like this. He gives me all of these rules. Do these things. Don't do those things to take life from me to steal life. 
And that is not, that's a myth. That is not why God gives commandments and laws and things for us to live by. That is not the reason to steal life. The the reason he gives commandments and laws in our life to us, like the Ten Commandments, the reason he gives those to us is to walk us into more and more of life. You see that? It's not that, like these Ten Commandments are not meant to rob your life of everything that's fun. It is meant to walk you into all that life is supposed to be for you. So in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we've got the fourth commandment. And listen to what that fourth commandment is. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. He's saying on that seventh day, you need to Sabbath. That is a day for you to set aside. Okay, now let's just think clearly for a second about what the Sabbath is. Let me just try to define this for you. The Sabbath is the day designed by God where you cease from all of your producing, where you cease from all of your accomplishing, where you cease for all, from all of your achieving. Maybe you can think of it this way. The Sabbath is designed by God to be a day for a willful wasting of time. That is Sabbath. It it is a day where God gives you divine permission to lay your head down and take a nap. To sleep in until 11 if you want. Yeah, there we go, huh? It, It is a day designed by God for those things. Maybe you could think of it this way. It is designed by God to be a day where you get to pray, you get to engage God, and you get to play. Pray and play where you get to enjoy life, where you get to disengage from those things that that suck life out of you, and you get to engage in those things that give you life. Maybe you can think of it this way. The Sabbath is a day where during the week when you have poured out, it is a day where you get to replenish. During the week, the things that get broken inside of you, the Sabbath day is a day where those things get to be mended back together. It is about restoration, about replenishing. This is what the Sabbath day is designed to do. Now, the Sabbath day, that day setting it aside, is meant to and designed by God to produce a Sabbath heart. Now, you know there's a difference in those two. You can set aside a day and not have a Sabbath heart. So the Sabbath day is meant to lead to a Sabbath heart. Here's the difference. If you set aside a day to be off work, but you're constantly thinking about your work, that's not a Sabbath heart. Let let that just be convicting to myself for a second, right? That that the Sabbath day is meant to produce a Sabbath heart where you're reminding yourself. See, the Sabbath is meant to remind your heart that you are a human being, not a human doing. See the difference? See, a lot of us really think that we are human doings. That, That we derive our significance, our value by what we produce, the things that we do. And the Sabbath is meant to remind us that we're not human doings. That we are human beings. That that we have been bestowed by God in his grace with an identity. With with all the approval we need. It's meant to remind us of that. We just get to be. This is the Sabbath. Okay, now look at verse 11 in Exodus chapter 20. I just want you to notice what this, this command for the Sabbath, what it's rooted in. Verse 11. So he's just given the command for the Sabbath, and he says this, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I just want you to see that this command of the Sabbath is rooted in creation. That God, this rhythm, this rhythm of Genesis 1 and 2 where God speaks, that he creates, and he calls it good, and on the seventh day he rested. It's, it's, it's about that rhythm. It's rooted in that rhythm that God has woven into the fabric of the world, this, this beat and this cadence that the world has, always in the background. I, I love how one author kind of uh, visualizes Genesis 1 and 2. If you have a, a two-year-old in your house right now, you know that there are times when you as a parent have to lay down beside them when you're trying to put them down for a nap because they will not close their eyes. And you lay down beside them, just coaxing them, trying to show them that it is okay to close them. 
This is what God's doing in Genesis 1 and 2. He's laying down beside us and he's coaxing us into closing our eyes to resting so that we can see what the, what the rhythm in this world is. So that we can see the cadence and the beat. And see, this is what Exodus 20 is doing. Exodus 20 is just inviting us into that. It's just saying, listen, this is the way the world works. This is the way things are. This is ultimate reality. And Exodus 20 is just saying, will you step into that beat and that rhythm, that that flow that God has put into the universe, step into that. That means you you work for six days. It's six and one. You, You work hard, you're six, and then you rest, you're off. You take a break. You take a holy nap. You you, you work hard and then you rest. You work hard and then you rest. Like you actually let your work get out of your mind where you're not actually thinking about it while you're trying to rest. It's this six-in-one rhythm, this cadence. And God is just saying in Exodus 20, man, I want to invite you into that, into the way things are, into where life is, into where like your soul can be replenished and nourished. Now, as it relates to music, there are generally three different types of people as it relates to music. Um, The first type of people are those people who have it. Y'all know people who have the music thing? Like they just pick stuff up and it sounds good. We're all jealous of those people, right? Then there is the vast majority of us who don't have it. Raise your hand out there. Yes, that is me too. Now, there's this third category, and this is the scariest of all, this third category of people. It's the people who think they have it, but don't really have it. You ever met one of those people? (laughs) Now, this this is one of the saddest, like, realities of my life was the day that I realized I think I have it, but I don't have it. See, for, and Dan and I, our student pastor, we laugh about this all the time. We had this, this span, this season of our life when we really thought we were going to be the next Chris Tomlin. And, and then, and then it all came, like my hopes came crashing down, just beating against the rocks in that moment where I realized I can't play a musical instrument and I can't sing. Chris Tomlin is not in my future, right? I mean, it's just a sad moment where I moved out of category three back into category two. And some of y'all need to make that transition, right? <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. I don't know a lot about drums, but this is the things I do know about drums, that you need to have a couple of things to play them. So one thing you need to play drums is a drum set. The other thing you need is sticks. You need drums and you need sticks. But there's this key third thing that you've got to have to play drums. It's this word rhythm. That's what I'm missing. I don't, I don't have rhythm. See, rhythm is, rhythm is the ability to know when to hit the drum and when not to. It's the ability to know when to be on and when to be off. When to play and when to rest. When to work hard and when to do nothing. It's that ability. And see, here, now, now see this. Without rhythm, music is not music, it's noise, Right? So, so just check this out. Like, this is me with a, a, almost all I need to play drums. I've got drums, I've got six, but no rhythm. Now, I want you to watch what this produces. It's chaos. Okay, let me just warn you. See, this is what, this is what drums with no rhythm sounds like. Now, tell me, is that not awesome? <laughs> see, okay, now, now see this. Without rhythm, you know what just was produced? Noise. That's all that was produced. There was no music in that. All it was was noise. See, it takes rhythm to produce music. Now, can I introduce you to rhythm real quick? His name is Charlie Brooks. He plays drums for us. Charlie, where are you? Here is Charlie Brooks. He hates every... He, He sort of hates every moment of this, but I love it. So let me introduce you to rhythm real quick. Now, see, that looks so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so good. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie Brooks. Now, here's really the question of the morning for you. Does your life sound more like noise or more like music? More like noise, more like music. And, And I think if most of us are honest in the room, our life sounds much more like noise. No rhythm. 
No awareness that there's times to be on and there are times to be absolutely and totally off. There are times to produce work and there are times, this one in six rhythm, where we produce nothing and we're gladly doing it. But we're just being, not doing. See, there is this rhythm that God's created in the universe and when we're living in that rhythm, things work. Life begins to work. But, but when we're not living in that rhythm, when we're producing just noise, life begins to disintegrate. See, the, the, the music of what life can be is reduced to the noise of what most of our lives are. So let me just ask you again. Is your life more noise or more music? Maybe I could ask it this way. Do you just need to slow down and stop? Like, do you right now, like, just think about your life, just need to slow down and rest. Can, can I just tell you, let me just speak to the guys in the room, and this, actually this is all of us, but let me just specifically to the dads. Can I, can I just tell you that some of the most important moments in your life are flying past you right now, and you can't see them because you're in such a hurry? To the moms in the room, that some of your most important moments of your life are clipping by you at an unbelievable pace and you can't stop to enjoy them because of your busyness. Let me ask you something. Some of you need to slow down. It was so interesting about, oh, this has probably been six or seven years ago. I was doing student ministry and I was in a room full of about 30 junior high kids. And I asked the question to this room of 30 junior high kids, do you feel stressed out? Now, this is junior high kids. 13, 14 years old, do you feel stressed out? And do you know every one of those 30 junior high kids in that room, every one of them said yes to that. I am totally stressed out. Now why, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? kind of ironic. Now why is that? That's not just because culturally people are stressed out. It's because they are absorbing the culture of their home. That's why. That culturally and in our homes, there is this go, 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 hurry, 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 do more, accomplish more, keep producing. Like when you produce everything you can produce, keep producing more. There is that thing woven into the atmosphere of our homes where there's never this rest, never this pause, never, not, there's, there's no rhythm. All it is is noise. There's no music. There's just work, work, work. And when we finish working, we work some more. We never turn it off. We, we can never just stop to enjoy and pay attention right now in this moment. I, I'm just asking the question. Some of us need just to slow down, stop doing, and just be. See, this is what the Sabbath is inviting us into. This rhythm that's woven into the fabric of creation to take one in six to, to not produce a single thing, a willful wasting of time as you just be, as you just enjoy, as you celebrate. This is Sabbath. And this is what God is inviting you into, me into, us into, to take one in six to do nothing but be. Now in Mark chapter two, we are about to see um, some Sabbath purposes. Some of the reasons that God has given us the Sabbath. So let me just read this passage to you here. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 23. It says this. One Sabbath, he's, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now remember... The Sabbath is loaded with the blessing of God. You befriend the Sabbath and blessing breaks out in your life. But for the Pharisees, they stripped it of its blessing and instead loaded it with burden. With all their little restrictions that go around it. It was burdensome to the people. You keep reading here. Verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Let me give you this warning. Never underestimate your ability to be totally wrong about something you would promise you are totally right about. Are you just feel that for a second. You need to know this about yourself. 
Don't underestimate your ability to be absolutely dead wrong about what you think you're dead right about. See, the Pharisees thought they had nailed the Sabbath. I mean, they thought they were right in alignment with what God wanted from the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them this, this two, three verse little story here about David. A, probably a passage they had memorized as a Pharisee. And he tells them this story to show them that how they think about the Sabbath and how God thinks about the Sabbath are two totally opposite things. See, if God thought about the Sabbath like they thought about the Sabbath, David would be dead right now. Like he, he would have been dead right there in that moment when he plucked the head of grain, when he ate the bread. See, he's showing them that, listen, Pharisees, rule keepers, stripping the blessing and, and loading it with burden. The way you think about it is not the way God is thinking about it. He's just alerting them to that there. And then in verse 27, he clarifies it. Here's the difference in the way God is thinking about it and you're thinking about it. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees viewed it like this. Here was the Sabbath up here, and man was created to serve that Sabbath. It makes it all burdensome. And Jesus is saying that is not how God designed this thing. It's man up here, and Sabbath is meant to serve and to help and be a blessing to man. It's meant to, to walk man into the way things are. To help them see the rhythm and the cadence and the flow and the beat of how the universe is wired. See, that, that's what the Sabbath is meant to be. So Jesus is saying, no, no, man is there and Sabbath is meant to serve man. It's supposed to be a blessing to man. He's really saying exactly what Genesis chapter 2 says and Exodus 20 say. That it's a blessing that God has loaded that day with blessing and everyone who befriends that day those blessings will break out in a million different ways over their life. That's what he's saying here. Now, now let me give you two ways that the Sabbath is a blessing. Two things the Sabbath does for you and I as Christians. Two things. Here's the first thing. Sabbath tunes us into God. This is one of the purposes of the Sabbath. The Sabbath tunes us into God. Do you remember the passage in 1 Kings 19 where God is about to speak to Elijah? Here's, the, here's what happens in, in 1 Kings 19. Um, God tells Elijah to go get out on the mount, and he's about to talk to him, so be ready. And then the next thing that happens is this windstorm blows through, and we're talking violence. It says that this wind was so powerful that it tore the mountains, and it broke to pieces the rocks. So we are talking massive hurricane, tornado, wind, things blowing up, things happening, big moment, loud, noisy, all of that. And then it says, but God's voice wasn't in them. And, and then next it says that there is an earthquake that comes. And earthquake, big, loud, things shattering, things shaking, all of that. And then it says, but, but the Lord's voice wasn't in it. And then next it says a fire blew through, big, loud, all of that, but the voice of the Lord wasn't in it. And you remember how the passage ends? It says, but then here came the voice of the Lord in what? A low whisper. Do you know why for many of us in the room, we very, very seldom hear the voice of God in our life? It's not because he's not speaking. It's because we have so much noise in our life that we can't hear the whisper. We can't hear it. That the hurry, busyness, getting this done, getting that done, creates so much clutter and so much noise that we can't hear a whisper. See, this is why in Psalms 46.10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. That there are some things about God that you can only know when you are still. You can only know when you sit down long enough to get the noise to quiet down. See, maybe if you want a picture of this, if you can picture the heart of God as a huge, expansive mansion with hundreds of rooms and hundreds of hallways, there are parts of the heart of God. There are hallways in the heart of God that you can only know when you are still enough to see them. There are doors in the heart of God that you will only see when the noise quiets down and you are still. Are you, are you seeing that? There are things about God that you will only know. I mean, if you're like me, here's what I'm saying today. I want to know all of God. 
I want to know God, but there are things about God that I will never know if I am always busy, if I'm always on, if there's no rhythm to my life. There are things that I will never know about God. So, so part of what the Sabbath is meant to do is to tune you into the voice of God. Here's the second thing the Sabbath is supposed to do, though. The Sabbath also tunes us into the life-giving purposes of God. It tunes us into the things that God cares about and that we should care about. Now, listen to a guy named Mark Buckingham, who wrote a book on the Sabbath that I'm going to post on The City this afternoon. And if you want more reading, this would be a great book for you to read. It has been such a breath of fresh air to me. Listen to how he describes it. This idea of the Sabbath tuning us in to the purposes of God. He says it this way. One measure for whether or not you're rested enough, besides falling asleep in board meetings, besides that, is to ask yourself this. How much do I care about the things I care about? How much do I care about the things that are important? How much do I care about the things I care about? When we lose concern for people, both the lost and the found, for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty and goodness. When we cease to laugh when our children laugh and instead yell at them to quiet down or weep when our spouses weep instead of wishing that they didn't get so emotional. When we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is that we hope it isn't going to involve us. When we stop caring about the things we care about, that's a signal that we're too busy. And can I just say that that's one of the things, if you'll just look at your life, will be like one of the warning signs of hurriedness and busyness in your life is that things that are really not that important, you have made supremely important. And the things that, that are very important, you have made of little importance in your life. I mean, we just live in suburban context. So can I just say sports as an example, just for one of about a thousand? That the things that, that are not important, we elevate to supreme importance. And the things that are supremely important, we, we, we look upon as of little value. And so let me just give you the illustration of my life. If I were to say the number one thing that God is, is wanting from me and asking me to walk in, it would be to keep my heart happy in God, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That thing right there is the number one thing. That is the most important thing in my life. Now, right behind that is me loving my wife. Now, can I just tell you this about my wife? I still cannot believe she said yes to me. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe that she can see through all of my sins and shortcomings, imperfections and insecurities. I can't believe that. That she would put up with all that, that is me. And when I think about that, man, it just makes me want to grab her and just say, I love you. How do you do that? Man, can I just tell you, I don't want to miss one of those moments with her. I don't want to miss one of those. God has, in his grace, given us three kids. And there is something magical about kids, isn't there? Man, we, we've got a five, a three, and a one-year-old. And man, I just want to grab them up and hug them and kiss them, put them back down and do it all over again. I, and do it again and do it another time. I just want to do that all. I love it. It has been such an incredible thing for me to get to walk in. And man, can I just say, I don't want to miss one single moment of that. And some of us just need to hear this. The most important things in our life right now are flying by us and busyness has, has wired our brain in such a way that we can't see them. That we're totally unaware of those things. That we are missing a million of the best moments in life and trading them for busyness. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Hey, listen to what Mark Buchanan goes on to say about this. And just let this be a warning to all of us. He says, someone asked me recently what was my biggest regret in life. And I thought a moment, surveying the vast and cluttered landscape of all my blunders and losses, the evil I have done and the evil that's been done against me. And this is what he said. Here's the number one thing I regret, being in a hurry. The guy interviewing him said, pardon? And he looks back and says again, the number one thing I regret is being in a hurry. 
getting to the next thing without fully entering into the thing that's in front of me. Can I just tell you, can I just give you a prophetic view of your life when you're 80, looking back? That at the pace that some of us are running at right now, we're going to have a moment when we're 80, on our deathbed and dying, and we think back about our life, somebody's going to ask us that question, and here's what we're going to say because of the maddening pace of our life. The number one thing I regret is just letting so many of these moments that were so precious slip through my hands for the sake of busyness and getting the next thing done that really didn't matter anyway. I can't even remember what it is I wanted to get done, but I know this, I missed a million of those sweet moments trying to get that thing I can't remember done. Can you just hear that and feel that for a second? That's going to be us in a few years, you in a few years. And so I've got wife, I've got kids, and then let me just give you this one. Right below that is just the purposes of God, the multitude of other purposes in the world that God would want me to be in the middle of. Like Ephesians 2 is clear that God has saved me from some things at the moment where he, he, he grabbed me and saved me, like things like hell, like things like that. But he also saved me to some things, like to be in some things, like into the, my family, into to wife, into, into kids, into those things. But can I just give you two more things that you can just like take to the bank that if you're alive right now, one of the reasons you're alive is so you can have your life deeply vested into these couple of things. Number one, community. That, that your life would be like deeply invested into friendships among your church family. That you would be about developing not just shallow, surface-level friendships, but I'm talking like the deep, I kind of want to kill you right now sort of friendships, like hard we sin against one another. They sin against us. We sin against them. Speak the truth and love to one another. 100% known to one another. Like deep, authentic friendships happens in the context for us of home groups. That God would want you to be involved in that thing, developing those sort of, of relationships. And for some of us right now, you know what our reason is for not being involved in that thing, community that God would want us in? It's busyness. We just don't have the time to do it. See what that's saying? That busyness has so clouded our view of the world that we have elevated small things and we have made them supreme and we have taken the most important things and we've made those of little significance. So community, you can bank on, if you're alive right now and you're Christian, that God would want you in deep, authentic community. You can also bank on this. He wants you involved in the mission of getting the gospel out. And you know the number one thing that will kill mission in your life is busyness? You're just too busy. Like you're too busy to invite a neighbor over that doesn't know Jesus into your home for dinner. Just too busy for that. We just got too much going for that to happen. There's no way. That'd be impossible. See, that's what busyness does to us. It takes the moment where your neighbor or coworker initiates a conversation and it makes that feel like an inconvenience as opposed to a divine opportunity to speak grace and life. See, this is what busyness does. It elevates things that aren't important, like getting the next little task done, and it devalues the most important things like mission, like divine opportunities. It, it reminds me of the quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Now I think it would be good for us just to realize this morning that one of Satan's primary strategies in your life to destroy the things that are of most value is just to make you busy just to hurry you along, to get you doing something else. This is one of his main strategies in your life. So the Sabbath, it is meant to tune us into God. It's meant to tune us into the life-giving purposes of God. And let me kind of finish and wind down with this. Some Sabbath suggestions for you. So let me just preface it by saying that it is impossible with the varied work kind of life that, that we have in the room various schedules, the various jobs that we do, it's impossible to talk on a street level, ground level, as far as applying the Sabbath. So really all I want to do is to try to give you a place to start thinking about it, and your home group will be a perfect place to work out what could this look like in my life. In light of my schedule, the things God has called me to do, what could this look like? So let me just give you two things as a starting place. Number one, that you have to plan it. If you don't plan, if you don't, if, if, if you don't take a moment and say, this is our day, right there, like that day is our day. If you don't take a moment to do that, it will never happen. Stuff has this tendency to violently invade space. You, are you aware of that? If you just leave space ambiguously defined out there, like we're just going to do it when we get around to it, stuff, just the next thing to do, will violently invade that, make it impossible for you to do it. 
So let me just encourage you, you need to take a moment to think about what is our day, to pull back and to rest. You've got to plan. If you don't plan, it's never going to happen. Now, for most people, Sunday is probably that day where you get to pull back, where you get to rest, where you get to be with God's people, you get to serve God's people. You get to have that whole thing happen. Sunday's probably the day. Now, if you're on a church staff, like for our staff, Sunday is not the day for that. Sunday is a work day for us. So we wake up at like 5.30, adrenaline pumping with things to accomplish and things to do on Sunday. So for most of our guys, we celebrate Sabbath and walk in a Sabbath on Mondays. It's our day to try to unplug and rest and play. It's, it's that day for, for us. But can I, let me just encourage you. If you don't write that down, you will never do it. And after you write it down, just free advice here. You're going to have to guard that ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. There will be a million things vie for your attention on that day. So, so can, can we just go through a couple? Like your kid's sports, it's going to vie for attention. Like um, homework, that's going to vie for attention. Like getting the yard stuff done, going to probably vie for your attention. I mean, there's a million things. Can I just, getting that last little email checked before you head in the office the next day, there's going to be a million things that vie for your attention. Can I just remind you that the most important thing is none of those, but Sabbath rest, replenishing, retuning your heart to God, reorienting your heart around God. That is the most important thing you can do. That rhythm, six in one, you work hard and then you rest really hard. It's that willful wasting of time. You do that. So the first one is plan it. And here's the second one, is that you practice it. You are not going to be good at that when you start. You're going to be like an addict coming off of cocaine when you first start. It's going to take you a while to get unplugged from busyness and hurry. So you can plug into the things of God. Let me just kind of frame, because here, here's what happens. A lot of us in the room, we are so deeply ingrained with that, what do I do? That that's the question we're asking about the Sabbath. Give me a flow chart for how to do the Sabbath. I line it out, one, two, three, ten. Give me all this. How about you just be? Like, let me just frame it like this. You pray and you play. You get to engage with God and you get to play, make memories, engage with your kids. You just get to pray and play. But maybe you can think of it like this. You get to disengage from everything that sucks the life out of you and you get to engage in those things that bring life and breed life into you. You get a day to do that. You get a day where God says, take a nap if you want. Sleep until 11 if you want. You get a day where God is giving you divine permission to willfully waste your time praying and playing. So, so I mean, that, that just forms a grid for you. So what about lawn work? What about a woodworking project? What about gardening? What about sewing this little thing? What about cooking this meal? What about doing this? What about kids sports? What about all of this stuff? Just ask yourself the question. Does that breed life into us as a family? Or does it suck life out of us? What does it do? And if it breathes life into you, then by all means, go after it and do it. If it sucks life out of you, ruthlessly get rid of that thing on the Sabbath. So let me just end by giving you a picture or two. Just some ideas, suggestions, just some pictures here. In ancient times, they had this thing called the Sabbath box. The Sabbath box. They would put it by the door. And as they were coming into the house, they would take everything that connected them to the outside world and they would put it in the Sabbath box. So in 2013, here's how that would apply. You would take your cell phone. You mean, you mean we could live without a cell phone for a day? Are you serious? Like you would take your cell phone and you would put it in the box. And since we live in 2013, you would take your second cell phone and put it in the box. <laughs> You would put your iPad in the box. You, you would put your computer in the box. That means like no checking an email. That, that means like no checking a text message. That means like not updating your Facebook for just a whole day. Can you imagine it? It means like unplugging from all of that. Everything that connects you to the outside world. Just saying no to it for this day. That this day, that those things do not invade this day. They, they stay outside of this day. And they would also take a piece of paper and they would write down everything that was worrying them. Everything that they were thinking about, they would write it down on that piece of paper, they would put it in the box, and they would pray, God, this thing on that paper, that is your thing now. 
So just a reminder that God is the one that sustains and and holds the universe together, not them. And 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 then they, they would do things like this. They would read the scriptures together. They would eat a big meal together. They would practice hospitality. They might serve a neighbor. They would get together and come to church together that morning. Listen, they would just slow down enough to listen to this, to pay attention. Like to actually see, like when my kid smiles, it produces that little dimple. I love that dimple. That that tree outside in the backyard, that tree does not just have one shade of green. It's got 40 shades of green that make up that tree. To, to notice the texture of your wife or your husband's hair. To actually like taste the hundreds of flavors in that piece of, of food that you just bit off and in your mouth and you're chewing it before you swallow it. Just stopping to breathe, to be where you are. Just stopping to pay attention. Like, like dads, it's, it's a day to re-engage with your kids. Like to take them out on a date. Like to look at them like in the eyes and say, man, I love you. I'm so, you're such a great gift to me. I, I, dad's in the room. Husbands. It, it's this moment where you get to look at your wife and you get to grab her by the face and you get to try to come up with a new word as to why and how much you love her. It's a day for that. It's a day where you get to unplug and you get to just rest, where you get to cease from producing, cease from doing and achieving and accomplishing, accomplishing, and you just get to be. You just get to remind yourself that you're a human being. You just get to sit and you get to celebrate. You get to invite people over and you get to tell stories of the grace of God. You get to celebrate all that God has done to you. You get to to cultivate in your life just a thankfulness for the small things of your life. You just get to wind down. You get to rest. You get to reorient your heart around God. You get to plug back into God. You get to still yourself long enough to hear from God. You get to re-engage in the things that are most important in your life. Like you get to put the kids down to bed early. And you get to snuggle with your husband, your wife on the couch. And, and if you're married, if you're married, that is a perfect day to make love. How about that? And this is where all the guys are like taking notes right now. See, it's a day for that, for reorienting your heart around the things of God, just to enjoy the grace of God. That's what the day is for. So can you close your eyes for me? Just close your eyes where you are. See, see, what God has done is he's put this rhythm and this cadence and this music and this beat behind all that is. He's embedded it into creation, into the universe. And I don't know a lot about that music and about that rhythm. I just know it's not country. See, it's just this, <laughs> it's just this beat. Can you feel that beat? Can you feel that rhythm? It's knowing when to work and when to rest, when to engage and when to disengage and just be. It's that six in one rhythm. Can you feel that rhythm? It's okay like right now to tap your toe. Can you just, can you just feel that beat? See, this is what God is inviting you into. He's inviting you into that rhythm. That six and one, that work hard in six and rest and reorient in one. Replenish, restore your soul. Calm down, not just a Sabbath day, but get a Sabbath heart that is resting in all that God has done for you in Jesus. Now, here's the truth for a lot of us in the room right now, that right now in our life, we are out of tune and out of beat. Do you hear that right there? Do you hear that weird note? It's just, it's just noise. And a lot of us right now, our life is producing that weird noise. And God is saying, listen, this is a moment to repent of the noise and to come back into, to come back into rhythm, into the music, into the beat. 
to get the right rhythm restored in your life. Some of us need to repent this morning of music. Come back into the beat, into the, in, into the rhythm. And this is why, this is why we're going to finish with communion, because ultimately Sabbath points us to Jesus. It points us to the gospel. Do you know why for so many of us in the room, it's so hard to just rest and so hard to just be? Do you know why that is? It's because you really think your identity and your significance in your life, you really believe it's attached to what you produce. See, your identity is not in being, it's in doing. So if you produce little work, you feel like you're of little worth. See, this is why the Sabbath reminds us of grace. It reminds us of Jesus. See, this is why we're going to finish by taking communion as we dip the bread in the juice and we feast on the body and blood of Jesus. So we're reminded of that. It, it, Sabbath is a pointer to that, that, that we, our identity is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for us, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Our identity is based on that. Our identity, our significance, our approval is not based on what we produce, but what Jesus produced for us. Not in what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. See, today it's a moment to remind ourselves of that great reality. So I'm just going to have the guys play up here, and we're going to give you just a moment to deal with God, to repent of these things, to repent of, of the noise, and to come back into the music. And after you do business with God this morning, we're going to invite you to come up and take communion with us. You, you to come up and you to dip the bread in the juice and for you to celebrate the grace of God. See, in the beginning, God said, it is finished, and he rested. But at the end of Jesus' life, he said, it is finished. And because he said, it is finished, we can now rest. And we get to celebrate that. So Thank God, you for I listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.